And good morning, folks. Happy Thursday, wherever you are here in America or around the world. Thank you for joining us for this hour. My name is Ray Pritchard. I'm the president of Keep Believing Ministries. I'm also a board member of the American Family Association. And mostly, if you recognize my voice, mostly it's because for the last few years, I've been a co-host on today's issues. But for this week, I have been sitting in for Dan Celia in this hour. Dan, of course, is the greatly esteemed host of financial issues. He is recovering from a case of COVID pneumonia. He's on the He's on the slow trail to recovery, and we just want to ask our friends to continue to pray for Dan. We look forward to the day before too long, not too many weeks down the road. We hope, we don't know, that he'll be back on the air with us here on American Family Radio. But for this hour, I am glad you are with us. So I have been thinking, we'll do a little Bible study with you during this hour. So if you've got your Bibles, just uh, grab them and open them. I've been studying lately in the life of Moses. A lot of people would say Moses was the greatest man in all of history outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I've been working to prepare some messages for a new series on the early days of the life of Moses. And I just got up today and I was thinking about the, the famous story of Moses meeting God at the burning bush. And I want to do a little Bible study with you. We're going to call it High Noon at the Burning Bush. High Noon at the Burning Bush. So grab your Bibles if you can. Now I realize a lot of you are listening in your car. Don't grab your Bible. Keep your eyes on the road. Just stay tuned and I'll be reading the verses. But if you're at a place where you can open your Bible, that just will be great. And we're going to find some truly encouraging words from the Lord today from this from this story of how a shepherd named Moses met Almighty God at the burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. So let me just begin this way. We all want to be used by God. I'm sure that's true of almost 100% of the listeners today. We want to be used by God. If we are Christians at all, we want our lives to count for the Lord. We want to come to the end and hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. And while we are here on planet Earth, we want to influence our world for Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. We all have doubts, don't we? I mean, we all wonder in in the quiet moments of life. Have you ever wondered, can God really use me? Maybe you look in the mirror. And I was talking about this the other day, looking in the mirror and just going, what is wrong with you You've been a Christian for so many years. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? The devil has so many ways to discourage us. And it's it, it's amazing how that can happen to the, to the most well-taught uh, and spiritually mature believers, certainly not to all the rest of us as well, just go through moments of, of enormous self-doubt. So we read this story, and we just begin by asking the question, do you ever think God can't use you? Do you ever think you're not good enough. Do you ever think my past, now whatever it is, now I don't know your past, you don't know mine, let's leave it that way, I'm okay with that. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. It's easy to look at our own past and to think that it disqualifies us from serving God. Let me just give you two words, think again. Just consider some of the people God used in the Bible. 
Moses was slow of speech. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark felt rejected by Paul. Timothy felt inadequate. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Jacob was a cheat. David had an affair, and then he murdered a man or had him murdered to cover it up. Solomon wasn't so smart after all. All that wisdom, he went and married all those foreign wives and had the foreign concubines, and they turned his heart away from God. Abraham, the father of the faith, Abraham, lied about his wife, not just once, but twice, like father, like son. Isaac lied about his wife. David was too young. That's what they said. Peter denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. Lazarus was dead. Jonah ran from God. Sarah laughed at God a lot. Oh, man. Oh, man. My wife and I were going through that part of Genesis the other day. Lot, he talking about a guy messed up. He was, yet, Second Peter calls him righteous Lot. Lot was messed up and a compromiser. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both, both doubted. Peter, God bless him, he walked on water. Then he took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. Elijah struggled with depression. Esau sold his birthright. That's a dumb thing to do for a bowl of lentil stew. Some of the some of the apostles, we don't understand this. Some of the apostles doubted the resurrection, even though Jesus had told them in advance what was going to happen. Remember Luke twenty four, when the women came back on early on uh, resurrection Sunday morning, and they came back and they said the the tomb is empty, and the angel said he's risen. The men laughed at the women. They thought the whole thing was crazy. Um, Reuben slept with his father's concubine. Peter compromised the gospel, dragged Barnabas and others along with him into his compromise. John the Baptist, well, look, John the Baptist, he just was an unusual, different kind of guy with the wild honey and the locust and the camel's hair and all of that. Martha complained about her sister. Samson slept with a prostitute. Yeah, that's in Judges 16. Noah got drunk. And by the way, did I mention that Moses, the fellow we're going to talk about today, he had a short fuse. So did Peter and Paul. And well, a whole lot of folks did. So a few years ago, I was doing a radio interview. I had published um, a new book, and the the advertising agency that had been hired by the publisher had come up with a list of questions, and they were setting up all these interviews, radio stations around the country. And the way that worked was they would book me on an interview, and they would send to the interviewer, the radio host, a list of potential questions. Now, you never know what the host is going to do, but on this particular day, it was going swimmingly because the host was just going down question one, question two, question three, and since I knew what was coming, I was knocking the ball out of the park. But all of a sudden, without any warning, the host departed from, quote, the script of questions and asked a question. He said, Pastor Ray, I want to know, how come? There are so many flawed people in the Bible. He said, you know, there's just a whole bunch of messed up people in the Bible. How come that is? Well, I was stunned to hear the question because it wasn't on the list. But, you know, the one thing you can't have on the radio is dead air. So I took a deep breath. And my philosophy, when somebody asks me a question like that, is just to go with the first first thing that pops into your mind and try to make it work. So he said, Pastor Ray, how come there are so many flawed people in the Bible? And I said, the first thing I could think of, because that's all God has to work with. All the perfect people are in heaven. And uh, later on, I thought about that. That's exactly right. All he has is a whole bunch of 
clay pots. You know, Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, cracked pots. That's all God has to work with is just deeply flawed people like you and me. So you think God can't use you? Think again. All God asks is that we make ourselves available to him. Now, that brings us to Exodus chapter 3. High noon at the burning bush, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. This, of course, is the story of Moses, the shepherd, on the backside of the desert near Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. Now, just get this. First of all, Moses is now 80 years old. Whoa, whoa. You know, his life can be divided into three segments of 40 years each. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years uh, leading the people of God out of Egypt and to the very border, to the, to the very edge of the promised land. Now, he's 80 years old, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, 40 years of fame, 40 years of obscurity, 40 years of luxury, 40 years of austerity. Let me say it another way. Moses is now 80 years old old. He's well past retirement age. He's well past his prime. He's reached age when men cash in their 401ks, they buy an RV. By this time in life, 80 years old, most men focus on their grandkids and learn how to play pickleball. And if you don't know what that is, just don't worry about it, but you can look it up. It's a fun game. The, the senior, I'm a senior adult, so I can talk about this. I'm 69. So I mean, there's people in my age group, we play pickleball. Now, now and then, we hear about a man who starts a new career in his 80th year. But, you know, that, that is rare. When you're 80, you're coming down the home stretch of life. You're rounding the final turn. You're collecting your Social Security. And, yes, you're learning how to play pickleball. A lot of men never make it to 80. Something happens. Cancer, stroke, heart attack, COVID, a fall, an accident. Or maybe you just lie down for a nap and you never wake up. It happens. Isaac Watts reminded us of this truth. Time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as the night dies at the opening day. Or, to borrow a phrase from Sir Charles Barkley, uh, late of the NBA and famous NBA analyst, quote, Charles Barkley said, Father Time is undefeated. Yes, he is. He's right about that. Father Time is undefeated. And yet here we have Moses at the age of 80 about to get his marching orders from God. Not only that, he's going to live another 40 years. And almost everything we remember about him or remember him for happens during those 40 years between the time he's 80 and 120. When most men are slowing down, here's Moses, man of God, moving into overdrive. I don't think he had time to play pickleball. What happened at the burning bush changed world history, and it has remained changed ever since that day some 3,500 years ago. Now, let's just begin to go through this text, and let's see how it happened. It starts with an ordinary day, an ordinary day. Look at verse 1, Exodus chapter 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now, I stop right there to say, Midian, well, wow, you should, you should look up Midian. 
on, on Google. Just check out what Wikipedia and some of those other articles. Check out the pictures. Um, you, you want to talk about a barren desert. It, if you look at the pictures of Midian, even today in the 21st century, Midian looks like the backside of the moon. It like looks like, and what it really was then, 3,500 years ago, almost like the most remote place on the face of the earth. It's not just not in Egypt, and it's not in the Holy Land. It's not in the Sinai Desert. It's on the eastern side, evidently. It's evidently Midian was on the east side of what we call today the Gulf of Aqaba, modern-day Saudi Arabia, and evidently it spilled over from the east side into the west side. In other words, when when Moses went running away, and that's another whole story because he killed an Egyptian and then buried him and then looked, looked around and he was found out the next day and he ran. He's running from the law. He ran and he ran and he ran and he ran all the way across the desert around the Gulf of Aqaba and came to essentially the most desolate, most God-forsaken, the most, uh, the most barren wilderness on the face of the earth. And that's where Moses is. For, for 40 years now, he has been serving his father-in-law, Jethro. He has gotten married, and uh, his, he and his wife, they've been raising a family there. And now on this day, he's led his flocks, evidently from the east side of the Gulf of Aqaba, all the way through the Sinai Desert to, it says, Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. He led the flock, the Bible says, to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now understand, everything in this story depends on what I'm about to say. Moses meets God during an ordinary day. He's just doing his job. He's, he's doing at the age of 80 what he's done for the last 40 years. He's been doing this for all those years. He does not have on his mind, oh, today Almighty God is going to meet with me. He's not expecting God to meet with him. He didn't have an inkling. In other words, God's call came to him during ordinary obedience. Now, folks, hold that thought. It's time for a break. Come back on the, uh, come back on the other side of the break and... Uh, We're going to take up this story again because it's really exciting. Stay tuned, folks. More good teaching to come on American Family Radio. always had an interest. God has given us a gift of being able to help a lot of people with their finances and budgets and stuff. AFA supporters Bernie and Alice Larson met Dan Celia at a Faith, Family, and Finance town hall meeting. And he answered some questions and we were thinking about the charitable gift annuities and we'd never heard of that before but we thought, well, we'd always wanted to leave some of our money with for God but we didn't know where or how and it we felt like this was put into our laps as answer to our prayers as to what we could do after we're gone. Bernie and Alice learned a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation would provide them with a monthly income for life as well as supporting the American Family Association into the future. You can learn more about charitable gift annuities and other financial products at afafoundation.net or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. And uh, you just can't outgive God. 
Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. For their little size, this little sliver of land surrounded by 37 nations that all want to destroy them, here is this nation of Israel living in peace among enemies and not only surviving but thriving. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his message, The Isolation of Israel, on the next Turning Point Weekend Edition. Listen to Turning Point, Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit InHisImage.movie. Welcome back, folks. So glad to have you with us today. My name is Ray Pritchard, sitting in for Dan Celia of Financial Issues. We're praying for Dan, hoping he can be back with us live uh, to do financial issues uh, very, very soon. Well, we are looking in this hour at the amazing story, the, the fantastic story of Moses who met God at the burning bush. And we're calling this High Noon at the Burning Bush. Remember, Moses is 80 years old. When other men are slowing down, Moses is revving up. His life is about to go into high gear. And it happened, isn't it interesting? Moses the shepherd. He meets God on a completely ordinary day. On that day, when he woke up that day, somewhere near Mount Sinai, he didn't have a clue of what was about to happen. Watch this. God's call came during ordinary obedience. Ordinary obedience. Listen, just hold that, circle that, write that down. Ordinary obedience. Moses was taking care of the family business, which is what he'd been doing for the last 40 years. That leads to a crucial insight. 99% of life is ordinary. This was an ordinary day. And why should that surprise us when God shows up? 99% of life is ordinary. It's just the same old stuff day after day. You get up in the morning, take a shower, put your clothes on, eat breakfast, get the kids ready for school, go to work, hope the kids are okay, come back from work dead tired, read the paper, watch TV, try to be nice, eat supper, uh, play around with your computer or your iPhone, your iPad, play with the kids, flop into bed dead tired, and then get up the next morning and do it all over again. Friends, that's the way life is. 
it's the same old thing day after day. So question, where do you begin in discovering the will of God? I started by saying we all want to please God. We want to make our lives count. And there's no question more basic than, Lord, what do you want me to do? So where do you begin? Where do you begin in discovering the will of God? You begin by doing what you already know to be the will of God in your present situation. That's where you start. This is Thursday. Friends, everybody's got things you need to do today. You don't need to worry about the will of God for next week, next month, or next year. Do the will of God today. On this day, on this Thursday, do the will of God today. And in doing the will of God today, the will of God is going to unfold for you for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, Elizabeth Elliot, whom we all love, such a wonderful speaker, a wonderful writer, now in heaven, uh, she was famous for saying this. She was saying, like to say, whenever you don't know what to do, just do the next thing. There is always a next thing that needs to be done. You know, so many of us, we, uh, we live for those mountain peak experiences where the clouds part and God seems so close to us. I mean, I, I know what it's like to go to church and have an amazing service and walk away saying, I felt the presence of God today and the Holy Spirit was all over this service and God was so real. You, you just felt like you could reach out and touch him. I know about that. I understand that. I've been in those services and they're wonderful, but you cannot program that in advance. God makes himself known in whatever way he wishes to make himself known. And I think there is a danger. And now, folks, I'm not really talking to you. I'm just talking to me, Ray Pritchard, because I need to hear this. Uh, I, I am personally, maybe it's just by my personality, I'm attracted to those mountain peak experiences. Many people wish those spectacular moments would happen every day. But let me tell you, Again, I have tried sometimes to create those spectacular moments. It, it never works. God does what he is going to do. Often when we say, God, show me your will, what we really mean is, Lord, give me a feeling. Give me an insight. Lord, give me some spiritual revelation. And God says, I have already shown you my will. Now just get up and do it. So question, what is God's will for a student? Well, do your homework. What's God's will for a doctor? Get up and do your rounds early in the morning. What's God's will for a pharmacist? Fill those prescriptions and do it right. What's God's will for a banker? Take care of my money. Don't lose it. What's God's will for an accountant? Take care of those books and do it right. What is God's will for a teacher? Do your lesson plans and come to class ready to teach. Question. What is God's will for a salesman? Know your product, make your contacts, get on the phone, go see your prospects, and move the merchandise. So if you are a young mother and you've got young kids at home and you want to know what God's will is, I can tell you this much, it has something to do with dirty diapers. God's will for young mothers, it's more than dirty diapers, but it's not less than that. God's will for a secretary is more than typing, but it's not less than that. God's will for you is more than showing up and doing a job, but it is not less than that. If your name is Moses and you're a shepherd, what is God's will? Here's the answer. Take care of those sheep. Find them some water. Lead them to shade. Keep the wolves away. I am emphasizing a 
crucially important point that I think maybe we don't take as seriously as we ought to. God's call most often comes in the midst of ordinary obedience. Now, people say to me, Pastor Ray, can God speak to me today? Well, first, first, number one, he has already spoken to you. He has given you a whole book of his will. It's called the Bible. If you want to know the will of God, read the Bible. I don't care where you start. Ecclesiastes, 2 Corinthians, book of Revelation, book of Genesis. The whole Bible is a revelation of who God is, of his character, of his plan. It's a revelation of who we are. It's the revelation of how through Jesus Christ we can have our sins forgiven and have a relationship with Almighty God. Read the Bible. It's a book of God's will. So number one, when people say, can God speak to me today? He already has. He's written it down in the book, so read the Bible. Okay, but you say, I mean, how can I? How, look, can God get through and somehow speak to me in, in some way in my spirit? Look, I always tell people, don't worry. God's got your number on speed dial. He can ring your phone any time of the day or night. And you know what? When he rings your phone, you're not going to put him on call waiting. So here is Moses. It's been 40 long years, 40 long years of, of uh, hot days and hot nights, 40 long years of dust and dirt and wind and sandstorms, 40 long years of uh, <laughs> disagreeable sheep, 40 long years of being a shepherd out in the wilderness. And I want to say again, on that day, on the day when God showed up, Moses did not have a clue of what was about to happen next. So showdown or high noon at the burning bush, it begins with a completely ordinary day. Second, there is in the midst of this ordinary day, an extraordinary bush, verses two and three of Exodus three. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. Okay, that's interesting. A bush caught on fire. And the angel's going to speak to Moses from the, from the burning bush. Here's the catch. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. In other words, the fire was just burning and burning, but the bush was not burning up. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this extraordinary, remarkable sight. Question in the text, why isn't the bush burning up? Uh, understand, friends, you can go to the desert, and it gets hot out there. I mean, it gets up to 110, 115, 120. You know, when our troops were fighting in Iraq, they talked about some days when it would get up to 130, 135. So unbelievably hot unbelievably dry so the notions there could be fire out in the wilderness that's not an extraordinary thing at all so a burning bush in the desert by itself is not unusual it's the not consumed part that gathers our attention listen god can make any bush burn he can do it anytime he likes he can do it anywhere he likes and guess what any old bush will do. What he's saying to Moses is, what I did with this bush, pay attention, pay attention, Moses, what I did with this bush, I can do with you. So there's an ordinary day 
there's an extraordinary bush, and then there is a personal call. Personal call, verses 4 and 5. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. By the way, always pay attention whenever a name is mentioned twice. Mary, Mary, Martha, Martha. When names are repeated twice, it is personal. It is intense. God is about to reveal something very important. Moses, Moses. And look at the answer. Here I am. When you just see that those three words in English, here that's just one that's just one word in Hebrew. In English it's here I am, he answered. This is what God says. Don't come any closer. And you got sandals on. Remove the sandals from your feet. Time to show some respect for the place where you're standing. Out there, look, out there in the remote desert, in what seemed like the backside of the moon, in what probably you might call the most unlikely place in the world to meet the Almighty. Wow, right there, God shows up. And wherever God is, you better take off your shoes because the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. Let me say just a word to you about what Moses said, because it really comes to the heart of why I wanted to share this with you today. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's uh, Hanani, Hanani, the here am I, the three words in English. It's a very common phrase in Hebrew, Hanani, here am I. It's, uh, it means here I am, Lord, I'm ready to serve. Here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here I am, Lord, what may I do for you? Hineni, here am I. It's what a servant says to his master. It's what a little boy says to his father. It's what believers say to the Lord God. Hineni, here I am. Abraham said it in Genesis 22.1. Jacob said it in Genesis 31, 11. Moses said it right here in Exodus 3, 4. And Isaiah said it in Isaiah 6, 8. Look, when God calls, we all understand, don't we? We can always find an excuse. Not me, Lord. Not today. Go find someone else. I'm busy. I'm happy right where I am. I, Lord, I don't have, I don't have time right now to talk to you about this. Come back and talk to me later. You see, for all of us, the issue is not our personal desires. The only question is, how will we respond when the call comes? In the truly tough stuff of life, we rarely get a choice in advance. You know what? Because that's probably a really good idea. Because if we did, we'd be sorely tempted to run the other direction. It's in moments like these we discover what we believe. Let me say it to you again. I said this the other day. You learn your theology in the sunlight. You discover your theology at midnight. You learn it when the sun is shining and everything is going well. But you discover what you really believe when the sky is falling all around you, when trouble has come, when crisis has hit, when tragedy has struck. That's when you discover, and in this case, Moses is going to discover what he really believes when God speaks to him out of the burning bush. And understand, 
And Moses said, here am I. Watch this. He had no idea what was to come. He had no idea about facing Pharaoh. He had no idea about the ten plagues. He had no premonition about the crossing of the Red Sea. He had no idea he was going to go up on the mountain and meet with God. He had no idea about coming down with the Ten Commandments. He had no idea about throwing the Ten Commandments down when he saw the children of Israel having this wild party around the golden calf. He had, he had no idea about the manna and the quail, and he certainly had no idea about 40 years in the desert. Understand. He didn't know because he didn't need to know. People say to me, how can I discover the will of God? Well, I think it's like this. One man said the will of God is more like a sunrise than a sunburst. That's good. How does the sun rise in the eastern sky? It, it's 4.30 in the morning and maybe you don't see anything. And then it's 5 o'clock and you see just a little bit of lightning. They're just lightning of the sky and then maybe... 5.15, you see just, just a little bit of uh, a streak of light beginning to come. And at 5.30 in the middle of the summer, it's beginning to, the sun, you see just a little edge, the little rim of the sun peeking up over the horizon. And then about 6 o'clock, you, you look and, and the sun is now coming up. And at 6.15, suddenly the darkness is gone and it's light everywhere. How did it happen? It didn't happen all at once. The will of God. For you and for me is almost always revealed to us that way. It's one step at a time. It's one day at a time. It's like the sun rising in the morning. So let me say to you, friends, if you today are wondering and worrying about uh, the will of God for next week, next month, next year, let me say two things to you. Number one, don't worry about it. God's already there. He's already there next week, next month, next year. And number two, you don't, you don't know now because you don't need to know now because if you needed to know now, you would know now. But since you don't know now, it must mean that you don't need to know now because when you need to know, you'll know. If God is God, that must be true. It was certainly true for Moses. When he said, Lord, here am I, he had no idea. He just showed up and reported for duty and everything else is the result. Stay tuned, folks. More good teaching on your way from American Family Radio. We'll be right back. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at afa.net. So they asked me to enter my email address. And the next thing I know, I start getting emails from companies I never even knew existed. What's up with that? Here at the American Family Association, you have our word that we won't give away, sell, or lease your email address to any other organization or company. We're thankful when you take the time to subscribe to AFA Action Alerts 
One Million Moms, Engage Magazine, or any of our other online newsletters. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. Caregivers often lose their own identity, which has disastrous effects. How can we care for someone else when we lose ourselves? Ask a caregiver, how are you doing? And you'll often hear replies such as, we're doing okay, or she had a bad night, or he just got home from the hospital. Caregivers often struggle to speak in first-person singular. But it's critical for us to learn to express, I'm tired, I'm lonely, I'm scared, or I'm angry. And then we can seek the help we desperately need. We can reclaim healthy identities by cultivating trusted and appropriate relationships. In those relationships, caregivers can safely express feelings and challenges with someone who understands their needs. Doctors, counselors, pastors, support groups can all help us regain our identity so that we, as whole persons, can better care for our loved ones. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Welcome back to our final segment here today on this program. Glad to have you with us. My name is Ray Pritchard, sitting in for Dan Celia. We've been looking at High Noon at the Burning Bush, the amazing story of Moses meeting God at the Burning Bush in Exodus chapter 3. We've talked about how it happened on an ordinary day. But on an ordinary day, God came to Moses through an extraordinary bush and then there was a personal call, personal call. And that's really where we left off the whole issue of knowing the will of God for the future. So let me ask you a question. Imagine that God offered you a choice, a chance to see into your future. I mean, we've all wondered, you know, if I take this new job, how it's going to work out. If I get married, am I going to be happy? Or if I go to this college versus that one, how's that going to work out? If I take this career or that career? I mean, we we all want to know, don't, if I move across the country, Lord, is it going to work out? Is everything going to be okay? We all would like to know the future. So I'm going to ask you this. Suppose God said, I'm going to give you a chance to look into your own future. Suppose he said, your future for the next 10 years, it's all there in a manila folder on the table right in front of you. It tells all about your next 10 years where you're going to go, what you're going to do, where you're going to live, what's going to happen to you, what's going to happen to your family, to your kids, to your grandkids, what's going to happen around you. Everything in your life for the next 10 years is inside that manila 
envelope. And God says, go ahead, you can open it if you want to. But then the Lord says, but before you do, know there's only one catch. You can't change anything that's in that envelope. It's all there. The good, the bad, the happy, the sad, the hard times, the tragedies, and the victories. If the Lord offered you a chance to take a peek at your next 10 years, but you couldn't change the thing, would you open it? Now, I don't know how you would answer that question, but let me tell you, not me, not me. I am running as fast as I can in the other direction. It is better not to know. Life is hard enough as it is. Life works best one day at a time. And, and that's really the point I'm trying to make here. Moses had no idea of the travails that were in front of him. God didn't reveal it because Moses didn't need to know. And it's the same way with you and me. It's better that we don't know about loved ones struggling. It's better that we don't know about the health crisis we're going to face two years down the road. It's better that we don't know about the, the baby that's going to be born that we weren't expecting. It's better that we don't know about the windfall, financial windfall that was going to come. And it's better that we don't know about some tragedy that today would shock us, maybe move us to tears if we knew about it. No, no, no. It's better, friends, that we don't know. You see, all God asks is that when he calls, that we should answer, Hineni, here I am. Let him fill in the details. So we've talked about an ordinary day. We've talked about an extraordinary bush. We've talked about a personal call. There's one other thing in this passage. This is now where God is going to explain himself. I'm just going to call this a divine revelation. Understand, this is the Lord God Almighty talking to Moses from the burning bush. And then the Lord said, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, here's the, here's the thing. If you read not just verse 6, but on down through the next few verses, there is nothing here in these verses said about Moses. There's no commendation. There's no flattery. There's no consolation. It's about who God is and what his plans are. Leads me to tell you uh, uh, some sentences that have been a great help to me over the years. And I, I often repeat this to myself. It's not about me. It's not about now. It's all about God. It's all about eternity. Let me repeat that. It's not about me. It's not about now. It's all about God. It's all about eternity. You know what's happening in this passage? God isn't telling Moses anything about Moses. God is saying, let me tell you who I am. Well, who are you, God? Well, first of all, he's the personal God. I am. Second, he's the eternal God. I am. That is, note the present tense. I am. Not I was the God. Or I will be the God, but he says, I am at this very moment, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Note that present tense because Jesus is going to use that present tense when he gets into an argument with the Pharisees during Holy Week that, that God didn't say I was the God. He says, I am because all are still alive to him. So he's the personal God. He's the eternal God. Third, He's the faithful God. I am 
the God of your fathers. And uh, sometimes when I'm talking about this principle, I think about uh, uh, the 100th Psalm, and it says, uh, For the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever, and his faithfulness continues from one generation to another. It's literally from generation to generation to generation. And sometimes I have gotten, if I'm preaching at a conference, I'll get five, if, particularly if I'm preaching at a conference, we have big families there, I'll get a, I'll get a great-grandfather, and then I'll get a grandfather, and I'll get a father, and I'll get a son, and I'll get a grandson, and then get some women in there too, right? Could be, that be a son, could be a daughter, right? But I get five of them up there. And I've had it where the, where the last one was just a little baby that uh, the mom was carrying, right, uh, in her arms. And great-grandfather, grandfather, father, son, grandson. And I'll, I'll say, this is what that verse means. God is faithful. What he was to the great-grandfather, he'll be to the grandfather. What he was to the grandfather, he'll be to the father. What he is to the father, he'll be to the son. And you see this little bitty baby down here? What he is to the son, he'll be to the grandson. Oh, what an important truth that is. Because I myself am a grandfather now. My wife and I have uh, 10 grandkids, and we've got another one coming, arriving, God willing, in about two and a half months, maybe about 10 weeks down the road. And I, I understand now something I didn't understand before, how grandparents feel about all of this. And you know, you look at your kids, your grandkids, and maybe if you're old enough, older than me, you've got great grandkids, and you look and maybe there you see some of them struggling personally, financially, spiritually, emotionally, whatever. And it's always a temptation to say, Lord, you got to let me stick around so I can take care of my family. And here's the great good news. When your time comes, my friend, my elderly saint friend, when your time comes to go to heaven, all you got to do is just close your eyes on earth and open your eyes in heaven because what God was to the grand, great-grandfather, he'll be to the grandfather. What he was to the grandfather, he'll be to the father. What he is to the father, he'll be to the son. What he is to the son, he'll be to the grandson. In other words, I don't have to stay alive uh, for God to take care of my kids. I can go to heaven, and I can go to heaven happy, knowing that my kids and my grandkids are in the hand of Almighty God. He is the faithful God, the God of your fathers, who, even though they have failed many times and we all fail, our God is faithful. Finally, he is the, sa- he is the powerful God. He says, I have seen and I have heard. Well, that's fantastic. Talking about the suffering of his people. Maybe they felt during that long 430 years, Lord, where were you? Lord, we prayed and we cried, and but the time had not yet come. But God said, I've seen it. I've heard it. And when they thought I'd forgotten, I hadn't forgotten. He's the powerful God. And beyond that, he says, I, he says, he's the saving God. I will deliver. Let me read. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. That's the, that's the promised land. That's the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he reminds a reminder here, going to be some problems when they get there. Home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, 
the Hivites and the Jebusites who are not going to exactly roll out the welcome uh, carpet or bring out the welcome wagon when the Jews show up. But he's saying, I have seen your suffering. I am going to deliver you from Egypt. When I deliver you, when the time comes, you're going to go into a land that's like paradise on earth. And even though there are going to be many enemies in the land, I will give you that land. And now the cry of the Israelites, God says, has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, this is God's word. Get this. Pay attention now. So now go. Wow. 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 In all of this, you know, in all of this, Moses has only one job, and that is to go. Remember, he doesn't know. He's going to be told later on in some detail by the Lord, when you get to see Pharaoh, he's not going to be happy to see you. He's going to harden his heart. And there's going to be nothing but trouble. He's going to repeatedly harden his heart. And, and uh, all of this is going to be part of God's plan to deliver his people. But that's all in the future. So now go. In fact, stop and think about this. Stop and think about this. God only gave Moses two commands in this whole passage. This is the turning point of his life. And the first one was take off your shoes. In other words, you're meeting with me. You better get ready. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And then when it's all said and done, just go. Go back to Egypt. Go back to Pharaoh. Go back to the king of Egypt and say, let my people go. You don't have to worry about anything else. I, I, Almighty God, the powerful, personal, faithful, covenant-keeping God, Almighty God, the redeeming God, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people. Understand that little phrase there, my people. I'm, bringing, I'm sending you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So, but by the way, just notice this. We, we talk about Moses as the great deliverer. Yeah, he was the great deliverer. But notice, God never told Moses to deliver the people. That's God's job. Moses can't deliver the people. Just go. Everything else is details. I think that's what Elizabeth Elliot was trying to say when she said, if you don't know what else to do, just do the next thing. There is always a next thing that needs to be done. The Bible says that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the idea there is a man who's going through a deep, dark, dangerous woods. And the, and the path is narrow and winding. And it goes, it's late at night and it's dark. And there are wild animals out there. And there are thieves and robbers and murderers out there. And the only way to get to where the man needs to go is to keep the lamp lit. And when this, when he says, my word is like a lamp to my feet, well, how, does a, how does a man in the darkness use a lamp? He takes the lamp and he picks it up and he holds it in front of him. And how much light does it show? It shows enough light to take the next step. Friends, there's a lesson here for you and me if we would only learn it. God gives us enough light to take the next step. We go, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, Lord. Here's what I want. I want six steps. 
or we bargain. Give me three. Or, Lord, I need eight or nine because this is a bad this is a bad part of the trail. I need to see five or six steps down the road. And God says, no, just take the next step. Just go. Everything else is details. What do we learn from this story? Number one, don't be impatient to discover God's call on your life. Moses was 80. Don't worry about it. Don't be impatient. Leave room for God. Leave room for God. Number two, God knows how to make the bushes burn. Isn't that great? The only two commands to Moses, take off your shoes and go. Go. Take them off to stand before me. Put them on to go back to Egypt. You think God can't use you? My friend, think again. God specializes in using imperfect people. He delights to take nobodies and turn them into somebodies who will do great things for him. So here at the end of the hour, my final word is this. What is the greatest ability in the Christian life? It is availability. Availability. God is looking for a few renegades who will go against the flow. God is looking for a few people who will say, Lord, whatever you want, wherever you lead, Lord, Hanani, here am I, send me. All that God asks is that we make ourselves available to him. Do that, friends. Everything else is details. So may we all say, Hanani, Lord, here am I, send me. Well, that's the end of this hour of Bible teaching. I want you to stay tuned because right after the break, Tim Wildman and the whole crew with today's issues is going to be here with the latest news from a Christian perspective. Thank you, folks. Go out and have a great day. God bless and come back here tomorrow morning. We'll do this again. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.